0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy.
1: Mike, before we hack it up uh, about the upcoming debate and the election in North Carolina, we have to note that today is 9-11, a date that Americans will always remember, a date of horror, but also one that defined uh, really, in many ways, the next uh, decade and a half, now 18 years of politics, public policy. But more important, let's remember those who lost their lives that day, their loved ones, uh, and all those uh, heroic first responders who are emblazoned in our memory for responding to that horrific event.
0: It was a time of incredible selfless sacrifice, and many, many heroes were created. It was a uh a true crisis for our country, and we we rose to it, which is why it can never be forgotten, and remembrances like today's and going forward are so important. It's a part of history that ought to live every day in every American's consciousness, because we're all so grateful. Amen. Um, Politics, I guess, we now... With nine eleven in our minds, uh, we'll talk about what's happening in the wacky world of politics. The Twitter universe is awash in some Democratic tears after the North Carolina 9 special election, which got so much attention, so much spending. A lot of disappointed Democrats that Dan Bishop, the Republican, won. But it was an overwhelmingly Republican district. So you kind of have to look beyond the numbers.
1: Well, look, I mean, Trump came away with a win and he can claim some credit for it. He cut down the margin In Fayetteville, in that area where he visited to campaign. But man, this suburban thing is an issue for him. And, you know, he won that district by 12. His guy won it by two. If he starts losing these areas like that, it's going to make states competitive that weren't competitive. And it's going to take some of these battlegrounds right out of play for him. So I, I think that losing would have been a disaster. But winning this closely is a huge warning sign.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you on this. It's one of these deals where it looks, it's like watching Keith Richards run up three flights of stairs. It's pretty impressive, but you take an x-ray and you you don't, you know, you don't get too optimistic. That This is a district where a bag of cement with an R on it ought to be able to win by five to six. So if Trump's election day numbers in his reelect look like the quote winning numbers Uh, that Dan Bishop had, Trump loses because it's just too close.
1: And we should point out, it wasn't just that he showed up, Pence showed up, but they put, I think, $6 million million into that race. That is a lot of effort to win a district that uh, has been held by Republicans for 50 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, when you're playing on the 10 yard line, the whole game in your end zone, you're never scoring. You're just barely holding the line. You know, yeah, we have the bragging rights. We won the district, but we've got to do way better in districts like that if Trump wants to ever get reelected. So I think the deeper story is vulnerability.
1: The brilliant David Wasserman of, of Cook, uh, who uh, follows these races as closely as anyone, pointed out that the Republican did well with rural Democrats, people who generally vote Democrat in rural areas. So, you know, the Trump strategy is to run up the score in areas like that. I don't think at the end it pencils out for him, but yeah. uh, but he did have an impact there. So sometime he's going to have an opponent. I'll say this, though, after all the kind of loony crap that's gone on in the last week uh, in terms of comings and goings and policy lurches and strange behavior and the president demanding the U.S. government use his hotels. And although he denies that he demanded it. Let me add that disclaimer. And the weathermen having to submit to his craziness and so on. A win is a win. Tuesday ended better for him than it began. So we got to say that.
0: Yeah, no, in the press follies, he gets the win. And it's funny, I put a, tweet out yesterday morning that the math in my brain told me repubs by 1.5, but my gut told me because Trump was having such a bad week with the old presidential cheese falling off the cracker that maybe it would inch over and McCready would win. But again, as we, we've both been saying, in a, in a 10 to 12 point R district to win by one, you get the bragging rights short term, but it shows structural problems that are a big deal. Now, the other open question is, will the D's nominate somebody who can appeal like McCready did, who was a more moderate candidate? That's the missing point. And takes us to the really big political story of the week. We have the first debate with everybody on one stage coming Thursday night. Yeah, it's big. What's your take? Well, first of
1: all, just the fact that it is everybody on one stage makes it a big deal. It really is the semifinals. And it's the first time you're going to see Elizabeth Warren on a stage with uh, Joe Biden. But every single one of these candidates has real imperatives for those who are uh, mired uh, down in the low single digits. This could be a a critical moment to see if you you live or die in this race. For the folks at the top, you know, there's critical positioning. So every single one of these candidates is going to have an awful lot of pressure on them when they step on that stage in Houston tomorrow.
0: Yeah, the clock is really ticking. You know, the summer's over now, and I kind of see this thing as having two tiers. There are what I'll call the players who are people with numbers, which is basically Bernie, particularly Biden, and of course Warren, the candidate who's ascendant. And then there are all these understudies. And for all the understudies, other than Mayor Pete, who has a big cash pile and a fundraising machine, the clock is ticking. Because as you well know, this is the time of the primary campaign where your campaign spending goes up every week as you're trying to ramp up your voter content. Well, your income, if you're not doing great in debates and polling, starts to go down. And that's the deadly Pawlenty squeeze. So yeah. the understudies can't just wait around anymore. Maybe Pete can, but the others have to get something going.
1: Yeah, that, even he, I think, is, under, you know, he has plateaued for several months, maybe lost a few points. Yeah. And, you know, I think that he has been uh, living off of a, a great first date for a long time here and needs to further hone his message here, or or that money will dry up as well. Yeah, I agree. He also needs to pick it up because he doesn't want to be the guy who raised $50 million and never got a delegate. That's not the way he wants to finish this if he's not the nominee.
0: Yeah, you get a lot of bad tweets. I've been there. To me, the dynamic up at the big king level and queen level, and also to some extent from the, the understudies, is this is the first time they've got Elizabeth Warren trapped in one arena. And I think for almost all the campaigns, they need to make a decision. Do they keep letting her grow every week, or is it time to friendly engage? You know, you can argue that Biden is the other person with a bunch of numbers, might be able to wait a while. But if you're Bernie and she's been taking stuff away, or you're one of the smaller candidates who's getting your oxygen cut off, I think there's kind of a combined interest in slowing Warren down, or she's going to take the race. She's the one in the Senate. What would you tell a campaign to do if they were not Elizabeth Warren? and wanted to make uh, the debate Thursday night a story of forward motion and definition more than just polite Democrats meet on a stage.
1: Well, Bernie uh, has signaled in the past that he isn't going to tangle with her. Maybe he'll continue uh, that here. If he wanted to, I think he would make the argument that he is pure. He is real, the real thing. She's a cheap imitation who is hedging on uh, some of the big issues like Medicare for All. Um, I don't know if he'll do that. You know, I think the, the question is, will she go after Biden uh, and will Biden go after her? She, they have a long history. Elizabeth Warren, back in uh, 2005, led the opposition to a bankruptcy bill that Joe Biden right. sponsored, you know, on behalf of the financial interests in his state, Delaware, being a home to a lot of the financial industry. And particularly credit cards. And she has brutally castigated that bill and by extension, him. She did it in her book. She made a point of this in her announcement. She's never had a chance to confront him uh, on this. If I were he, I'd be preparing uh, for that potential attack. And if you were his campaign and wanted to carve out a difference with her, You know he has a very clear lane in this race, which is this sort of center left lane, and uh, you know I would talk about the imperative of beating Trump, and you know I would sort of make some sort of you don't want it wouldn't necessarily an explicit electability argument, but I would argue that 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 we ought to have ambitious goals and we ought to be uh, thinking about solving some of the problems that people are laboring with every day, including the high cost of healthcare. But this is an existential threat. Yeah. And, and I'm focused, meaning Joe Biden, on uh, making sure that this president doesn't have uh, four more years. And I don't want to give him any oxygen or any opportunity uh, to divert the discussion from his own horrendous record and affronts. Uh, to our democracy. I, I mean, I think that's sort of where
0: I would be if I were Biden. That's my instinct, too. He's got to be loud and proud on his path and his clump of voters there and gather them all up. I think whoever can put Elizabeth Warren for the first time in this campaign on the defensive, on electability, on the stakes are too high to take risk, Don't give him the tools to win what's an election about much more than a normal presidential election. I think that'll be the debate winner. Now, maybe an understudy can do it, but if Biden can do it, it'll be great for him. I'll
1: tell you, um, if I were Mayor Pete, I would be looking for an opportunity to face off uh, with Bernie, uh, perhaps with Warren uh, on an issue like Medicare for all, where he is for a a public option, essentially Medicare for anybody who wants it, uh, but not the elimination of private insurance. Pete has to find a lane here. Yeah. If if Joe Biden can keep himself together here, uh, he very likely is going to be the nominee of the party because he has strong support in the African-American community. That is hugely important down the line. What many people in this race are playing for is for him to unravel. I know the betting markets actually have Warren, not Biden, as the likely nominee. And that's not predicated on numbers. That's predicated on an assessment of his ability to perform, uh, if he does perform, then there's no oxygen for people, particularly in that center left lane. But if he doesn't, there is. But you have to choose the lane,
0: and right, you know right. Pete has sailed above it, uh, and he hasn't chosen a lane. He's so lucid, and he's such a good communicator. He's kind of been faking it by being all things to all people with excellent, you know, if you want Medicare for All, you can have that. If you want an option, you can have that. He's glib, which is a strength, but there's got to be meat under that. I I think the best strategy for Pete is exactly to pick some positioning, but also be the better Biden. Yeah. Don't attack Biden, just do a better job of arguing the Biden Absolutely case, am. which has the subtext of the generational thing and sets him up against Warren and Bernie. Yeah.
1: No, I, I don't think he'll attack Biden. Shouldn't. But but I think that he will audition for the part that Biden is playing. Yeah. And that's, that's what he should do. You know the the other the other person on that uh, stage, Mike, who I think has a huge huge stake here, is uh, Kamala Harris. You know she had this yeah. electric moment in the first debate; her numbers shot up, but she she stumbled after that, and she has to prove that she has a message and not just a moment. And if she doesn't, she will not realize the promise that a lot of people saw in her candidacy.
0: Yeah, that's the problem with hitting a home run early. You create expectations. And she's right on that edge between being a one-hit wonder or somebody who can do more. I I think something she has in common with Amy and Cory Booker and, of course, Castro, too, is I'm sure they've all had depressing meetings with the campaign manager this week because the fundraising is not keeping up with the spending needs. Right. So they're all looking at the big oxygen strangle. So she needs to get donors excited with this debate to you know, re-energize her investors to fund the campaign to get to the voters. And if that echo chamber on her keeps going to one great moment but could never follow it up, that that becomes a self-fulfilling spiral, as you know, and that could could be deadly, even more so for Amy, who's never had the moment and has many of the same challenges.
1: Amy Klobuchar, yeah. She's another person who explicitly was running to fill that center uh, left lane, the more moderate uh, position. She's touted that as her Uh, The sort of hallmark of her candidacy, but in debates, and she's been on the stage with Elizabeth Warren. She's been on the stage. uh, I don't know if she's been on. I guess she's been on the stage with Bernie as well. She has chosen not to uh, face them uh, directly on some of these questions. You know, if she doesn't do that, then she's going to go out with a whimper here. And I'm sure she is under pressure, financial pressure. The other guy who uh, to me is sort of a mystery in this race is Cory Booker. I thought he was excellent in the last debate. We talked about it. He looked comfortable. He looked like he was in command. He had this face-off with Biden, mm-hmm. and he really got the better uh, of that exchange, and he did it without seeming uh, mean or obstreperous or anything. And I thought he'd get a big bump out of that. He did not. And, you know, he has uh, a great team. He, he has a great organization in uh, Iowa. And I suspect in some of the early state, other early states, you know, next to Warren, he may be the best organized. But, you know, time is running out here for him to begin to make a move. You know, this thing can break late, but you have to be in a position for it to break your way. He's built the infrastructure, but now he needs to do something that will actually fire people up.
0: Yeah, he's got the machinery to take advantage of a good wave, but he hasn't had the good wave. He is, as you say, a performer, and that's gold in politics. They're the one campaign that I think would have been well advised to spend some early TV money in Iowa to cook his numbers so the media would pay more attention to him. Because one of his problems is you, you put the camera on him, he does well, but down at 2%, you know, the, the polling drives a lot of the coverage attention. He's just not getting the cameras, other than these debates where he does well. Maybe, maybe he'll have a moment, but you're right. He needs one fast. Interestingly, he also
1: is a guy who sees himself as the legatee if Biden falls of that kind of center-left space. I think he's going to, as he did in the last debate, he's going to talk about the sort of psychic impact of Donald Trump on the country, the cost of Trumpism on the country, and really focus his efforts there. And the question is whether he leaves a footprint uh, in the sand or whether, as was the case in the last debate, people say, man, that was great that he was terrific. Now I'm going to focus on the real candidates uh, here. What do you do if you're the remaining people on the platform? What do you do if you're a Castro, for example?
0: Yeah, it um, it's tough because, well, you made the debate. You're there as a sideshow and you just don't get a lot of moderator time. And And as Castro taught a pretty good class in in one of the earlier debates. By attacking people you get attention. So I think he'll be the pit bull. It's kind of dangerous for the Democrats because they they really, I don't believe, don't want to get pinned down on this open border stuff for the general election, but he's ready to play that, you know, tune loud and proud and try to engage him a lot. I think um the other question, I I, I would bet dollars to donuts that there have been endless meetings in beta world about is this going to be the first big presidential debate where a candidate drops the F-bomb, it, it, which I think is kind of a cheap trick, despite the passion that even I as a repub have for more more gun legislation. I think it's gimmicky as hell, but I'll bet he'll do it.
1: No, I think he... Ha- Look, I think he is under enormous pressure. There's a guy who began with extraordinary... Uh, notice and Ballyhoo, he had this great campaign in Texas. He really has stumbled out of the gate and, and and continued to. He did find a voice after the mass shooting in El Paso. And I think, you know, the key to his Senate race was this sort of sense of passion and outrage. And he, he now has tried to recover that. But, you know, it's translated into what could be seen as sophomoric as much as Passionate, you know, uh, the, the sort of making the f-bomb the kind of symbol of your authenticity, I think uh, is not necessarily a winning tactic in a presidential race.:
0: Yeah, you never want the tactic to get in the way of the larger authenticity strategy. I, I think the other kind of interesting candidate in the media is giving him a little boomlet because he is doing in some ways a better job than Mayor Pete of running the generational Washington doesn't get a campaign is Andrew Yang. Um, He's got a pretty good video up. And I've noticed that some of the Mayor Pete stuff is moving into that territory of generational versus Washington. I mean, Pete's always had a had a message hook there, but he seems to be stealing a little bit or borrowing it or amplifying it from Andrew Yang, who's gotten pretty good in his niche message and is clearly the happy warrior in this group. He's never had a good debate moment. In the first debate, he was kind of lost. But maybe, maybe he'll do all right. Uh, he was
1: good in the second. I thought that I thought his line about I'm the exact opposite of Donald Trump. Right. I'm um, I'm an Asian who who likes math. Andrew Yang is very impressive. I when the Yang Gang movement started, I was skeptical, but I've seen enough of him now and got a chance to sit on a set with him after the last debate. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's an appealing guy. And, you know, you mentioned Mayor Pete. The difference between them is Andrew Yang started with a, an idea, right? I mean, he is very much focused on the impact of automation and our economy, on the technological changes and what that means for workers. And he has this, uh, you know, universal basic income proposal. Um, And so it's tangible. And, you know, uh, look, I I really admire Pete. I think he's extraordinarily bright. Yang started with an idea and he's building around it. And, you know, I think that's given him, uh,
0: you know, he's gone farther than anybody ever imagined he would. Yang, to my ear, is winning the authenticity battle right now because he knows who he is. He has, as you say, an idea, and he believes in it. Now, I don't think he's going to be the nominee, but he ought to go run for governor of a blue state somewhere because he's an appealing person with interesting ideas, and uh, he, is, he has put himself into the political world in a way that he'll be credible in a state race going forward. Again, I don't think he'll be the nominee, but he's done well. Well, it's funny.
1: I saw I saw an interview with him on CBS and I think Anthony Mason was doing the interview, and he said at one point, should you not become the nominee? And Yang burst out laughing. So the sense you got was that he knows exactly where he is in this thing uh, and doesn't have any illusions. He has injected something here that I think is has been impressive.
0: I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see for the first time if he can have a debate moment, because that has been the missing equation for him. But if he can bottle that authenticity and do it live for a minute on TV, it could take him to the next step.
1: Here's the thing about moments. They require uh, interaction. It's very hard to have a moment unless you're engaging with the people around you and drawing some sort of implicit contrast. That That's what Castro did uh, with Beto in the first debate. And, you know, he created a moment around an issue. Now, I would argue that the moment he created was unhelpful to Democrats generally because he led everybody down this rabbit hole of decriminalizing the border. Yeah. But he got quite a bit of notice for it. And anybody who's been paying attention knows that, you know, I mean, Elizabeth Warren actually benefited greatly from her exchange with John Delaney in the last debate. I mean, he, he played her foil in that exchange, but she kind of put him away and uh, that was a very strong moment for her. So Yang, whether it's Yang or Castro, uh, Buttigieg, any of these, uh, Klobuchar, uh, Beto, any of these sort of lower tier people, uh, you know, if they're going to get into this, they have, to, they have to create some sort of contrast, it seems to me, as a predicate
0: for a memorable moment. I totally agree. Look, going back to cave paintings, the first and only important rule of drama is conflict. So instead of being nice, Amy, and and having you know interesting platitudes, or being nice, Booker, and though Booker did it with Biden a bit, you got to engage somebody. That's how you steal the spotlight, and that's how you create electricity in a moment for you. So I agree, they got to get over the incentive to not be you know a little bit aggressive and and not be a bit contentious, or the thing is going to pass them by. I, I think the other interesting thing about this debate will be the issue of. Is Donald Trump mentally competent to be President of the United States? Which is almost unthinkable in a presidential primary race as a topic of discussion historically. But we've had enough erratic behavior. I think it'll break through and be a big topic. Yeah, hmm? big topic in the debate. It, it may be.
1: I don't think they'll get. I don't think there'll be any dissenting voices there on that question. <laughs> That's true. That won't be the moment of conflict. That's right. I'll tell you the the the, the, co- the contrast and conflict thing. The, the reason that some of these candidates are reluctant is because if you do it badly, you really look bad. So Delaney didn't benefit in the last debate. You know, Eric Swalwell tried to go after Biden in the first debate and, and shortly thereafter yeah. left the race. You have to be prepared. And, and, you know, as we're sitting here, you know that they are all ensconced in their Various hotels. And uh, I think Biden prepares up in Wilmington and flies in late. And they're gaming out these exchanges. And, um, you know, we'll see how strategically and tactically clever they are tomorrow night. But um, I would look for a
0: lot more interaction. You know, the million-dollar line that they all ought to be equipped with, different versions of it, is something to handle Warren because when, she, when she's criticized, her retort is, oh, those are just Republican talking points. Yeah. And that's been a pretty good line for her at work with Delaney. Somebody needs a counter to that, whether you were a Republican or something, to not let her get away with blanket labeling any criticism of her Republican lackiness because that's a powerful weapon. They're going to have to counter that. And again, I think the key to this debate is somebody putting her on the defensive.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the other issue is, um, I mean, Biden was talking about, you know, a full disclosure of of income and so on. There's always been this thing buzzing around about work that she had done for corporations as an expert witness and so on. I don't know what he was getting at. Maybe that was it. That There was some intimation in the media that that was it. The other line of hers that killed Delaney was, I don't know why anyone runs for president just to tell us uh, what we can't do. Uh, And, you know, she sort of grabbed the aspirational. And um, that is how she turns on people. You know, I've got big ideas. Mm -hmm. I am, uh, I'm ready to try and uh, deal with these big problems that impact on us. You know, and you're basically derelict. Um, You know, you're a small thinker you're you're you you know you're not in keeping with the aspirational tradition of the Democratic Party. So they got to be prepared for that as well. So uh, before we go, you you mentioned money and I really think it's you know it's not something people like to hear about, but if you're in the if these campaigns, you know, you've got a report coming up at the end of September and my guess is that the cupboard's going to be bare in a lot of these campaigns. And so you know, the stakes could not be higher. I heard from the Booker folks that they had not just a great night after the last debate, but several great weeks after the last debate. And that money will keep them going for a while. So- This is not just a rhetorical contest. It's a it's a fundraiser.
0: No, totally. This is about keeping the several thousand investors you have or people who give you a larger amount of money. If you have a high dollar operation, if you're lucky, like Bernie or Elizabeth, to have a low dollar operation, it's important for that, too, because without the gasoline, the campaign doesn't move. And, you know, we see this every cycle. They get in a little too early because they hear everybody else is getting in. They start spending money early, building valuable for later organizations. But then they hit a cash flow crisis at the end of the year just when the Iowa caucus peaks. So this thing is going to be a restart moment for some of these second-tier understudies, or they're going to run out of dough and no longer be effectively in the race at the end of the year. So the stakes couldn't be higher. We're going to see a highly caffeinated, interesting debate, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I know we'll be back uh, next week with our analysis and post-debate look.
1: Yes, and uh, we're not doing the mailbag this week, but we do want you uh, to write in uh, for next week, and maybe the debate will prompt some of uh, your questions, but hacksontap at gmail.com is the address, and uh, we look forward to diving into those next week. And Murphy, I, I look forward to picking through the the aftermath of this,
0: the wreckage of some, the ascendance of others, uh, when we get together early next week. I'm psyched. We're going to have a lot to talk about. And who knows, maybe the president will start screaming gibberish in his underwear in the White House lawn. I'm to the point where I'm expecting almost anything. <laughs> Good to talk to you, pal. All right. You too.